your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom. All right, welcome to what is it? Thursday. It's Thursday. Lacrosse Talk PM in the studio with me is Chris Maine. Dr. Chris Main, I should say doctor. It's funny because for a while we played basketball together for like how many years and then a pandemic hits and I go, oh, you're a doctor? But like <laughs> I should know that because you're a professor. At yeah, the well, I don't I don't even have my my students call me doctor, so you don't have to worry about the doctor part. I don't know how long I went to school. It was a long time. <laughs> He's a Viterbo biology professor, uh, immunologist as well. So we bring him on here probably once a month just to, I don't know what, what happens uh, what happens when COVID's over. I feel like we're just going to be bringing you in once a month for the next God, how many years? Oh but, man, I, I hope not. <laughs> but before we before we get into anything, just you, when we say immunologist, can you kind of describe what that is in in relation to COVID nineteen? Yeah, sure. So, you know, when it comes to this pandemic, there's lots of people who bring different sort of expertise to this. Right? There can be public health uh, professionals. There can be epidemiologists. Uh, public health professionals look, you know, at sort of broad things that we can do uh, as a large society to help stem uh, the spread of a disease. Epidemiologists also look at that, but also do a lot of the data sort of analysis of the way in which a disease spreads uh, and how it uh, interacts within other sort of aspects of of health. And then uh, immunology and virology, so virology or virology would be someone who studies viruses and know tons about viruses, right? And then I'm an immunologist, and so uh, immunology would be the study of the immune system. And so all of these people bring different uh, areas of expertise in. And so with uh, my expertise being the immune system, I've kind of long, even before COVID, done uh, vaccine education and vaccine outreach. And so my areas of expertise are more on how the immune system responds to the infection and the vaccine, for example. Before the vaccine was out there and we were really just grinding on what to do and how, trying to figure out what COVID-19 was, I remember there was a, a dual case in La Crosse County. Do you remember this? Where, where someone got the virus and then maybe like five or six months later, they got COVID-19 again. And then the county put out that, you know, this is a dual case. Somebody had it twice. And and then a lot of, I think one of the doctors at Mayo that I talked to was, was like, it's, it's probably not a dual case. They probably jumped the gun on that. And the virus can, and then he talked about how the virus can like hide in your eye, or it can hide somewhere where where it, where it didn't the it didn't get it didn't go away or it didn't uh, whatever you kill the virus. I don't know how you describe that, but it just it, it went into rem, would it go would it go into remission and hide somewhere in your body and then kind of come back out later? Does that make sense? Do you remember that? I I know what you're referring to. Uh, so that was very early in the pandemic when we were still trying to figure out how you know, this disease worked, how the infection worked, how the virus worked. And so those sort of close cases back to back, right? It's hard to differentiate whether it's a second case and, you know, five to six months apart, it probably is nowadays, uh, versus whether, you know, the virus was at a very low level and then came back. What you're probably remembering is you're probably remembering they were giving an example of herpes viruses. Uh, Things like chickenpox can actually hide out in, say, like the optic nerve. So they hide out in actual nerves because nerves don't get attacked by our immune system. So it's a very clever trick that they do. I don't believe that the coronavirus uh, or most coronaviruses have that same sort of superpower that herpes viruses do. But I bet you that was an example someone was giving about how they can hide out in immune privilege sites. Can it hide in your foot? Is that a good place to hide? Hey, there's COVID toes. Way down there. That happens sometimes. So. All right. 608-785-7914. If you have questions for Chris Maine, I'm, I usually don't bring Eric on because of 
uh, some things he said in the past. But Eric is uh, this is this is an important topic, COVID nineteen. So Eric, do you, Eric, do you have a question about the virus for Chris? Yeah, I wonder what expertise he has with the Delta virus. Does he have any expertise in that whatsoever? Do you have a question about the Delta virus specifically? Because we can go that avenue. He would. He, well, they, he'll they know. said that everybody must wear a mask now, and I wonder why Governor. Oh, this is interesting. Yeah. What's going on here? This is Eric's phone. Eric, maybe he's getting another call? It's kind of a... Yeah. I hope this isn't a a, a, rights vi- a copyright violation. I don't know what happened there. Uh, that was, Of course, I bring so, Eric on for... All right, so... I do, I do think I, I got what Eric was asking. He kind of wanted to know, you know, why do we have to wear these masks again? And what's so different about this Delta variant? And what the Delta variant does and what's different about it is it it replicates very fast when it gets into people and so that's why it's spreading much faster than it was before and because it's spreading so much faster than it was before uh, the concern is and there's some recent data that suggests that people who are vaccinated can still get the delta virus in their upper respiratory tract in other words like in your nose and it'll divide really fast right away before your immune system can catch it and completely eliminate it and now what I'm explaining is this is a rare situation, right? The majority of people who are vaccinated are never going to get an infection, right? But some might, uh, and if they do, they might not even know it because, again, the vaccines are really great at keeping us from getting very sick. But among those minority of people who get infected, it might replicate really fast in their nose, and then they might be able to spread that to someone who is unvaccinated. Now, the same thing would happen in an unvaccinated person just at a much higher rate, right? And so the worry is, is hey, if, because this thing replicate so fast, the unvaccinated may be at risk uh, because they're really not protected from severe disease. So let's have everyone mask until we can knock this peak back down again, right? And so that's what we're trying to do, knock this thing back down. It's been replicating and we're at a high spread in the, the county again. So let's temporarily mask, knock this thing back down again with the level of vaccination we have in the county. I'm hoping that'll happen pretty quick. And then we can go back to normal again once we get back to low transmission level. All right, we got another call here. Betty, do you have a question for Chris? My question, a couple questions. I guess one, I find it kind of disturbing that Fauci will not even think about having any type of test for antibodies. Um, I've had COVID. I'm making a choice to not get the vaccine because I've been tested and I have antibodies and I boost my immune system. So that's personal choice. That's right for me. So that's one of my concerns. The other concern is therapeutics are not being discussed other than big pharma developing them at this point to have once again more money out there for big pharma when we have generics that will do the same thing that they're developing. Fauci's gone on record. I've heard his podcast. And third, masks. It says right on the box for the blue mask, this does not protect you from coronavirus. So what's the deal? All right. That's a lot, Chris. That's a lot to take. Do you need a minute to, do you, do you need a minute to just kind of gather your thoughts? Because I, I, I do have to go to news. Uh, so if you need to go to news right now, we can uh, uh, talk about her question as soon as you're done with the news, if that's what you okay. prefer. Yeah. That's right. Yep. All right. Brad's got to do the news. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Uh, Eric called me back during the break. What he wants is Governor Tony Evers to reinstate a mask mandate, essentially, but Republicans took that to the Supreme Court. The state can't do that. And also, he would like to see Governor Tony Evers, he told me, shame Republicans and then have, 
I guess what he wants everyone to wear an N95 mask, Chris. Is and maybe we can get into this a little bit. N95 mask. Uh, essentially, I think what Eric wants is the the legislature to provide everybody in the state at least. I don't know how long do N95 masks last? Can you wear it more than you know those blue masks? I, I change that every time. I you know maybe every day. Yeah, and I, I know people in uh, healthcare would be able to speak to this a lot better than I. I know that when we had shortages, especially that uh, people in healthcare were reusing their N95s for quite some time, and it seemed to be effective. And so I, I think you can. And I think what Eric was saying is that N95s have a better rate of protecting the wearer. And so that there is, there is value in looking into making sure you're getting legitimate masks that do help protect. And that actually gets to some of Betty's points, too. And so sorry for making you wait there, Betty. Uh, so Betty had a few different concerns. And so one was masks and whether masks can prevent uh, coronavirus. She says they cannot. They can because what we have to remember, right, is coronaviruses don't float around by themselves. So you're not trying to stop something the diameter of a coronavirus. You're trying to stop something the diameter of the aerosol particle or the actual droplet particle that those viruses are within. And masks do work with, with that. There's lots of evidence now that suggests that. Uh, she also uh, promoted a couple of events that I have to say I cannot uh, uh, promote. Those are, uh, those are certainly not part of uh, what I'm uh, on here to talk about. But uh, I think it seems she had a concern with vaccine mandates. And I, I do think it's worthwhile to talk about that. So Personal choice and bodily autonomy is, is extremely important, right? And what I think is also important, though, is we realize that as, as members of society, we generally do things to help others, right? And, and being part of a society comes with rights and responsibilities. And there aren't any vaccine mandates right now that make every citizen uh, get a vaccine, right? Uh, you have choice on where you work and you have choice uh, in where you go and what things you participate in, some of those uh, careers and some of those places may mandate the vaccine. And we're seeing a few places do that, right? But what I really would like to remind people of is this is nothing new, right? It just feels new because you're seeing it all happen. All of us, 99 some percent of us have dealt with vaccine mandates all our life. and We just never thought twice about it, right? You have to submit your vaccine information. If you want to work in healthcare, you have to submit your vaccine information when you go to a, a K through 12 elementary school as a child. And so we just submit all this stuff, right? We submit our tetanus uh, data, our MMR data, our polio data, right? If you want to travel out of the States, you got to do that stuff. We just do all this and we don't even think twice about it because we got all those vaccines when we were kids and we get them updated when you do. As a scientist, I have to get regular tetanus boosters because some of the stuff I do puts me at higher risk of getting, say, a puncture wound. And, you know, I just do it and I submit it and you never think twice about it. So we've all been dealing with vaccine mandates all of our life. Are you Same one of those guys that's was. working with nail gun and you're just shooting <laughs> nail guns through your hand? There is so much nail gun work in science, man. It's just <laughs> it's unbelievable. No, what are what, what kind of accidents are you getting into that you're... Uh, if you work on animal models, uh, oftentimes. So, like, if I have uh, mouse models of autoimmune diseases, so you can have mice that get multiple sclerosis or lupus and you then can study how those diseases work and how to prevent them... Uh, an animal bite, honestly, is, is one of the major risks. Or a needle puncture, right? Because dealing with sharps, too. Speaking of um, animal bites, uh, I had a, a Reese's Pieces Kit Kat. It's a Kit Kat-shaped Reese's Pieces last night. You with me? That sounds delicious, yeah. And uh, it, it was a it was the supersized version, right? So sure. I only ate half of it, if you can believe that. And some people, fake news. But <laughs> put the rest on the counter. Well, and then I'm doing work upstairs, but I live in a loft, so you can hear the kitchen. The kitchen it's open, 
and I hear, and I'm like, oh, good. And I sick the dog. I'm like, listen. And the dog goes, and the dog's oblivious to the sound, right? Well, later that night, I go down there. Well, somebody had taken the Kit Kat's Reese's Pieces. I'm making it confusing because they call it a Kit Kat Reese's Pieces out of the packaging and just took a couple of bites out of it. So um, I threw that away. Probably a good idea. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> this sounds like a, the, the way to spread another zoonosis, you know, uh, sharing food with uh, rodents. So, so yeah. I, I, I loaded up the mousetrap, put it out in the garage, uh, and um, I think the culprit, I, ca- I caught the culprit this morning. So yeah. it's weird, though. I feel, I feel bad, but um, <laughs> he was eating my candy bar. So I, wasn't, I didn't feel too bad about that. Uh, all right, sidebar. Anyway, so um, cases in, I guess when we, t- when we talk about COVID-19, um, are we still at the, are, are we ever going to get past or are the numbers ever going to change where hospitalizations, deaths are going to be in the upper 90% of those, uh, uh, all the numbers, anyone that's that's in the hospital, anyone that's died, it's 90% of those people are just unvaccinated people. Is that, do you, will that number ever even out or is the vaccine the vaccine and, and it's going to be good? Yeah. So here's something that's important to try to keep track of. And it's hard, right? If you don't work with numbers all the time, but percents and then absolute numbers, right? And so the percent of people in the hospital right now uh, that are unvaccinated is upper 90 uh, percent in most states that are reporting this data uh, that I've seen. And so that shows just how effective the vaccines are, right? But one of the things to keep in mind is that if, you know, in my ideal you know situation, we'd be helping to get people these vaccines, educate them, get them to choose them, and, and we get you know, let's say we get 90% of our population having been vaccinated, then it could switch that the actual percentage of people in the hospital that uh, have COVID would actually be vaccinated, but the actual numbers of people in the hospital would be a hundred times less, let's say. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Right. It's kind of hard to imagine that, but like, you know, that could be actually the outcome of a successful vaccine campaign as long as the numbers of actual people going to the hospital are down. And that's what we'd love to see, right? If we took all those unvaccinated people and had them all vaccinated, vaccinated instead imagine how fewer the number of hospitalizations would be but then our percent vaccinated would be higher because we hey we got everyone the vaccine yeah there's a there's a story about you know hospitals out outside of the area trying to send their covid patients now i think uh, the, the the story that i read mentioned iowa um and and hey hey uh, iowa city can you take our covid patients like alabama people can we send you our COVID patients? Because because in other parts other parts of the world or other parts of the the country, it's it's good, it's horrible, and here we don't quite see it, I guess. Yet, yeah, it's it's a it is a huge issue, and certainly, you know, maps very strongly onto the percentage of a state uh, that has been uh, fully vaccinated. And so it's it's uh, definitely the it, again showing showing the uh, the effectiveness of this and why it's so important that we help people understand and those folks who are. You know, out there just kind of wondering and unsure, you know, I, I would love to hear from you because I'd, I'd love to answer any concerns you have. Well, the, the, the I think I don't know what, again, percentage, but what amount of the, the people are just waiting for the CDC to approve the vaccine or to the no F- FD, FDA. FDA, right? The FDA to and, and I think we're getting there with the Pfizer vaccine. But essentially, hey, the FDA, FDA has approved the vaccine. We're good to go. I, do you do you feel like that's a ne- that's a necessary step for a lot of people before they they feel safe about getting the vaccine? I hope so. Uh, as far as I hope that that 
step really does lead to this enormous uptake by folks. I hope it's not, you know, a moving target where people now say, well, but now I'm still something, something. I, I do think that full approval will allow some people to feel, feel more comfortable. And, you know, hopefully just seeing the fact that like people like me, I got the vaccine, you know, almost six months ago. Right. And, you know, uh, I, despite all of this hair loss that I already had going on uh, with my bald head, uh, you know, I think I'm, I'm, I'm generally looking pretty normal. Wait, are you saying the vaccine makes you bald? I think you just said <laughs> oh, that. No, no, no. Um, all right. We got a call here. Let's see here. Uh, caller, who is this? Whoop. There we go. Caller, who is this? Hey, Eric, go ahead. You got a question for, question for Chris? I do. Um, yep. One thing that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of facets to, to all of this. And I guess one thing that, that um, you know, I mean, is it possible that COVID is a seasonal thing, just like a lot of respiratory viruses? And if so, um, a lot of people are going inside this time of year in the south because of the heat. So... Um, I, I, I would venture to guess, I'm going to make a prediction that as it gets colder, the cases are going to go up as we go north. The, the, it's just going to transfer the southern, because the southern south is getting hit right now for one reason or another. He's Eric's trying to say maybe because it's hot and people are inside and when, we, oh. when it gets colder up here, we'll go inside and then the cases will go up. Yeah, he make, I mean, he makes a good Point, but usually when we think of seasonality with respiratory viruses, we think of seasonality sort of corresponding to, you know, winter versus summer. And seasonality isn't only about people being crowded indoors, though he is right that that seems to be one aspect of it. But it also has to do with, like, air humidity, uh, air handling. It might have some to do with us as actual humans seasonally. There's all the of seasonality of respiratory viruses is a, a very complex thing that people have studied long, even before COVID, right, with influenza and all these other respiratory infections we get. And so does COVID show seasonality? The answer is yes, some uh, from what I've seen, but not fully, right? We can see that right now and that our cases are going way up when we are still very much in the midst of summer in just about every way uh, in Wisconsin. And we also know because the Southern Hemisphere gets hit right when they're in summer, sometimes too, in this pandemic. And so if you look at those peaks and you map them, it has much more to do with this novel new virus spreading throughout the globe than it really does with seasonality so far. Maybe we can turn it in to a seasonal cold if we get enough people vaccinated and enough people immunity to this thing, though. That's the goal. Yeah, we've been living in with this thing for two years. So <laughs> the idea that it's seasonal eventually, hopefully, maybe, but it's definitely not seasonal right now because uh, we're still doing this. Right. Um, uh, one more call before we go to break. Tom, are you there? I'm here. Go ahead. You got a question for Chris? Uh, I, I, I had the Moderna vaccine, and it's Me not too, 100%. I wish he, if he could talk a little bit about what the percentage of coverage is for the different uh, vaccines, please. Yeah, no problem. Yep, well, definitely. Tom's Tom's head is out the window while he's driving there, I think. No, I'm just kidding, Tom. Thanks for the call. Yeah, the, 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 is one vaccine better than the other? Yeah, so... Back when I was, you know, going to get my vaccine and people asked me, hey, which brand would you get? I always said the best one to get is the first one you can get. And uh, that, you know, is was definitely my opinion. And I didn't even know what I was getting until I got it. And I got Moderna like Tom as well. Uh, now it does seem that the mRNA vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna, which really are functionally pretty much the same vaccine, just a little bit different. Everything about them seems to be mapping right with each other, uh, seem to have a little bit higher efficacy. Uh, than J 
Johnson and Johnson. Now, Johnson and Johnson was a single dose vaccine, right? So we are comparing these two double dose vaccines for a single dose vaccine, but they're also very different vaccines. One's an adenovirus associated and the others are mRNA vaccines. All of the, the vaccines seem to have dropped a little with Delta, but also, you know, as we talk about these things, right, different people are getting infected than they were before. And so it does seem, though, that Delta causes these vaccines to be a little less uh, efficacious. But generally, the data that I've been seeing suggests in the United States, they're still like 85% effective, which is still higher than I ever would have guessed a year ago that we could have gotten out of the out of vaccines. So, I mean, it's all, you know, it seems like bad news with Delta now, but it's still way better than I would have ever predicted for these vaccines before we ever saw them. So we have to keep that perspective, too. All right. That's Chris Mayne. He's the Viterbo Biology Professor, Immunologist uh, at Viterbo. Did I say that? Yeah, I said Viterbo. Um, all right. Scott's coming. Coming up, Brad, doing the news. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. Chris Mayne, Dr. Chris Mayne, Biology Professor, Viterbo, Immunologist. I should have asked you, you. You come in here enough. We should get your playlist up. We could bring your song. You are you're pretty much hitting it, man. Oh, like okay. This uh, this '90s grunge is uh, is <laughs> okay. pretty much back my jam back in the day. That's for sure. All right, we're talking COVID today. I like to bring him on once a month because he could talk to uh, to the virus a little bit better than I can to it. As if you're talking to it. Um, but we got a lot of texts. So I want to get to these texts. I, I was able to. We were able to break them down a little bit and read them and kind of just sort out the thoughts. Um, so I'll just go right down the line here, Scott. Scott asked this, this is kind of a general question, and we did kind of bring this up before, but what is the hesitation to not getting the vaccine? Besides, uh, some people are probably waiting for FDA approval. I want to say, like, it's a little bit political. And also, like, as an adult, I mean, I guess we get the flu shot, but we don't think of vaccines the way, you know, your parents do when you are, you know, a baby is born and they get their other vaccines. Yeah, actually, when it comes to, to people who are hesitant about getting the vaccine or just aren't sure, Reasons to not get the vaccine are as multitudinous or as many as, as the reasons to get them, right? And so you have to talk to each individual person, you know, like Betty, who was on earlier. I think she would say that her reasons for not getting the vaccine are, it sounds like she has concerns with not wanting to be told what to do, right? And that sort of is a natural human instinct. And I kind of talked to the idea of, you know, us also choosing to do things for other people, right? And she spoke to the fact that she already felt she had natural immunity. And I know we had another question, too, was it from Joe, maybe, that talked about their uh, natural immunity and uh, trusting that. And this is, you know, it is true that the natural protection after getting infected can be helpful, but there's lots of studies that have shown that it's not as robust as actually getting vaccinated. And there's a reason for that, right? And the reason is, is because vaccine-mediated immunity is natural. It's doing the exact same thing as the virus without letting the virus use its superpowers, right? So different viruses do different things to try to help themselves survive in your body, right? So they try to counteract your immune system. It's this battle between the virus and your immune system. And coronavirus does a few different things. I know, Rick, we've talked about this before. One of the things it does is it turns off interferon, which is an early immune response, so it can just take over. Well, the vaccine doesn't. It shows a piece of that virus without allowing it to turn off that initial immune response. This is why vaccine-mediated immunity is stronger than actual so-called natural immunity or infection-acquired immunity. And it's faster. We can ramp up vaccinations, get more people immune faster, so we can knock this curve back down. And then most importantly, it's safer, right? Okay, Not everyone 
who gets uh, COVID is going to die, right? We know that. But there's long-term complications of COVID we do know about, right? And some people do die, and some people get hospitalized. And we know that the rates of all of those things are much, much higher than any of the two in a million uh, cases of myocarditis from the vaccine that kind of go away on their own, right? And so the safety is also a, a, a part of this, right? So vaccine-mediated immunity is stronger, actually, safer, and that's why we do this. It's not that we don't trust our own natural immunity. It's that we want to take advantage of it and use it with a vaccine. Where are we at with, um, so I read the story, Greg Abbott is the Texas governor, you know, Texas, so he's his stance on COVID is pretty much no mask, whatever, like free for all. And he now has COVID, but also I read that he got a third booster shot and maybe he's a person that's immune compromised. I don't know. I don't know why he would, but it seems funny that somebody, if they're not, we're, we're getting to the part where we're talking about third booster shots. Um, are we going to see that across the board or is just if these people that are immune compromised or it's just too early to tell? Yeah, I, the news certainly coming out seems that there is a that they're being considered at least that uh, booster shots for everyone who wants one would be considered. Uh, I think, you know, like anything, there's nuance to all of this. Right. And so I personally uh, think that after uh, two doses, lots of the evidence suggests that we're pretty well protected against hospitalization in a severe case. Uh, People worry that there's waning immunity, Uh, lots and lots of, so this doesn't mean you have to get it, you know, every six months for the rest of your life. There's lots of vaccines we get as children. We don't even, most people probably don't even know this, but like, like tetanus, you know, you get like, I think a series of four of them, you know, within your first year and a half of life to then get that immune system ramped up where it stays for seven years. And then you get a booster every seven years or whatever. So it's not uncommon that it might take a series of several to get your memory, immune memory really well established. But the other side of things for me is that these vaccines, instead of having, giving me a third dose, Instead, send it to someone else in another country if we could. Someone that hasn't had any access to any vaccine yet. It would make such a larger impact there. Or let's help talk to to Betty and some of her friends who have decided not to get it yet. And let's get it to them because it's going to help them more getting their first couple than to give me a third. And those just as a public health uh, interest would be much more impactful. And from a selfish perspective, if as Americans we're like, well, we got vaccines. Well, where do these variants come from, right? They come from wild spread of this disease among folks that aren't vaccinated, right? So if, as long as we have lots of people in the world who are unvaccinated, then that still poses a risk to everyone, even from a selfish perspective, because it leads to more variants arising as this vaccine can keep mutating, keep spreading, and keep buying lottery tickets to get away from our immune system. I will say we're getting to the point now where uh, if we, we had a pandemic, and then we got the vaccine, and we thought, oh, we're good. And now this Delta variant kind of thrown uh whatever it's thrown a curve into our plans and we we in the county we had what was called the lacrosse cooley COVID 19 collaborative and we it took a while to get there where mayo gunderson and the lacrosse county health department kind of like teamed up and and to help you know uh just discuss the virus with the community and then that went away and now it's back they they announced today we're gonna we're coming back with the cooley covid 19 collaborative as the county's increased 163 percent in cases in the past four weeks and uh the positivity rate for testing has increased by six and a half percent from one percent so yeah, six and a half times <laughs> yeah so uh, we're we're back to we're, we're getting back to square one with this stuff and um 
Yeah, it's just depressing. I, I, and I, I asked you this before. Well, go ahead. What? Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't, I don't think anywhere close to square one, right? We're seeing a peak again, right? And we need to, you know, re-up some of our, our uh, non-pharmaceutical interventions, I call it, right? Masking, you know, uh, trying not to get into crowds, you know, where you're not masked, just to try to knock this thing back down. But we have 50% of our population vaccinated, right? We do already have a bunch of people who made the best decision they could to make keep themselves protected keep us from overwhelming our hospital systems, right? Because again, the vaccines still work really well against hospitalizations and severe cases, right? And so we still do have a lot of folks who are pretty well protected against this. We just now are going to have to knock down these infections spreading to protect those who aren't vaccinated yet, right? So folks we've heard from, but not only them, kids, right? Kids, I've got a kid at home who's not old enough to be vaccinated yet. So I'm particularly interested in not letting this spread like wildfire because I don't want her to get infected and potentially have some long COVID symptoms or something. Good point. Not back to square one. We did, when I first brought you on, uh, you know, however many months ago it was, we did talk. One of the one of the questions I asked, hey, Chris, when is this going to be over? Because we wanted to go and play basketball again, right? <laughs> and now I'm injured, so I can't even play basketball, so I'm super mad. Um, but, but I, you know, and then talking earlier today, it was just the general question, when is this going to be over? Like when, at least, you know, to the, to the point where we don't have to worry so much about it. Yeah, and there's, it's probably a multi-step process, right? Because it's not only going to be being over from a medical standpoint, right? Uh, in a population standpoint, it's going to be, when is it going to be over psychologically? How can we start feeling like, hey, we really have turned COVID into something that's more like a cold virus, right? And so I think the, the real long game of this is we're not going to eradicate COVID as in we're not going to eliminate it from the globe like we did smallpox. I mean, that took, you know, quite a few decades to do for one, and it's a different type of virus, uh, but what we can do, and the vaccines are already helping do, is turn COVID into an extremely minor illness, right? One that we don't have to worry enough of, as much about. And if we get enough immunity from vaccination or from people having got it, uh, that now everyone has this sort of vaccinated version of COVID if they get it, or this pre-existing immunity to COVID version if they get it, now we no longer have a public health crisis, right? Even if COVID's still around, it pops up once in a while, maybe it turns seasonal, it'll turn into more the other sort of coronaviruses that have already existed in humans that cause things like common colds that we don't really think much of. That's, I think, the goal. That, that's called being an endemic virus. Essentially, right? essentially, if you, if you are vaccinated and you're going to play, uh, let's just say, if you're, if the people with the vaccine would be like playing Thanasis Anadokounmpo in a game of one-on-one, and the people that are unvaccinated would be like playing Giannis Anadokounmpo in a game of one-on-one, the, the COVID, COVID is Giannis when you're not vaccinated and his brother Than, Thanasis. When he, does that work? Does that work? It's just, I, I, it's going to attack you a lot. A I, lot. Don't, I don't even think Thanasis. I think it's more like playing you on one-on-one oh, versus, versus uh, you Giannis. Would. You would. You would. Any, any way, shape, or form that I can be in the same category as Giannis, it's fine with me. <laughs> um, all right. Al, Al has a kind of a deep text here. That, that it, So here we go. I'll just read it which is why you have text. Uh, what is known about fertility, unborn babies, etc. for people that have had the vaccine? He's, he, and he continues, I'm looking like five years down the road, 10 years down the road. How can they say that it's going to be safe fertility-wise? Can you explain that a little yeah, bit? before? Yeah I'd, yeah, I'd love to. So one of the interesting things to know just from a historical perspective is that some of the sort of uh, talking points from bad actors who are trying to prey upon fear and, and make profit off of this, come back to the same talking points over and over again, just kind of how you know that they're BS, right? 
Uh, but this one where vaccines could cause infertility is one that's been around since the smallpox vaccine back in the day. And I think because it gets people scared, right? It's something that we all care about, right? And now with this vaccine, it came about again. Someone tried to talk sciency and make it sound like it could do something because there were some amino acids that are the same between some placental protein and the spike protein of uh, coronavirus. Well, that same spike protein is in coronavirus when you get infected with it. So that doesn't even make sense. But the one in the vaccine, and the answer to that was that these sequence of proteins were very small. It was just a handful of, I shouldn't say proteins, a sequence of these peptides. It's just a few amino acids. And the immune system doesn't even respond to such a short thing. So it didn't even make sense biologically originally. It was just people taking advantage of folks not being able to quite understand that. But really the take-home message about how we know is based upon the data, right? Millions of people have gotten these vaccines now, and so many people have still gotten pregnant, right? Tons and tons of pregnant women have gotten the vaccine, and they still had successful pregnancies. So these vaccines are completely safe for uh, pregnant women, and you can find all kinds of OBGYNs online giving good advice about this, right? Uh, it does not affect fertility in any way. It's an old trope that people try to prey upon people's fears on. Uh, it doesn't uh, risk pregnancies that already exist. Uh, in fact, just a, a little uh, article I just barely saw today, I didn't get a chance to read all the details of it, suggests that COVID infection might cause some early uh, preterm labor, uh, which illnesses sometimes do, and so it's not terribly surprising COVID-19 could. And so it makes sense then that the vaccine is even more important because you don't want to get COVID while you're pregnant. That Getting the actual disease is way riskier than the vaccine. And you can't beat Giannis Antetokounmpo in a game of one. No, I'm sorry. Uh, all right, we got to take one more quick break. We'll wrap up. I got a couple more texts to get to and a couple phone calls. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. Dr. Chris Mann, immunologist, Viterbo University, on with me. We got a couple minutes left here, so we'll try to get to these Texas phone calls. But Eric, call Eric's calling in. Um, you, you'll be able to answer this better than I can. But Eric, go ahead. You're on the air, man. All right. First of all, Chris, I'll, I'll quick fire. Uh, I want to compliment you on your approach to talking about this because you do have a, a very good uh, way of, uh, I guess, explaining things. So Thank you so much, Eric. Complimenting you on that. Um, I just want your thoughts on uh, uh, Guillain-Barre. Um, I know it's I know it's pretty rare, but there are reports of uh, people that not being an acceptable medical exemption. Um, what your thoughts are on that? And then also the de- the Delta variant. Um, it seems this, uh, you know, the, the efficacy has gone down. What does a booster shot do for, uh, for, to make that better? I mean, they're, now they're talking about that. I know you kind of spoke to a little bit of your thoughts on boosters, but how would that help with the Delta? Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about Yenbere first. So Yenbere is a disease that can happen sometimes if there's inflammation in your body, that sparks this sort of out-of-control inflammation called Guillain-Barre. And so the reason Guillain-Barre is something that we always think about with vaccines is it was a rare uh, adverse effect in a flu vaccine, I believe, uh, a while ago. And so people who had a history of Guillain-Barre sometimes were uh, suggested to not get certain vaccines, or you'll hear when you give blood, for example, they ask, do you have a history of Guillain-Barre? Now, one of the interesting things is, since then, a lot of the vaccines have shown to actually have less of a rate of Guillain-Barre than the actual diseases, because, again, it's, Guillain-Barre is triggered by inflammation, right? And diseases cause inflammation, too. Now, the reason Guillain-Barre isn't an exemption for these uh, 
uh, these vaccines is actually based upon clinical data. It was something they very specifically were looking out for because they know it, it has came up before. And so even people who have Guillain-Barre uh, or a history of it are still recommended. And I, I talked with someone who had Guillain-Barre and we went back and forth and she got some advice. We had a great conversation about it before because there is even the Guillain-Barre uh, like society out there suggests people, yep, definitely get it. The, the vaccines seem to not increase rates of Guillain-Barre but the disease might. And so it's actually a good idea to get it to prevent yourself from getting COVID and having that spark again, beret. Jim sent a text. It's like a three layer text, but I'll just worry that because I don't understand the first two, but the, he says, uh, can you talk about spike proteins? Do you know what that is? Yeah. Yeah. So spike protein is the actual thing that the, uh, the, the coating of the virus that it uses to get into our body. It's essentially the key that unlocks the actual uh, cells of our body to get in. And so the coronavirus has that on its surface. It's the little spike things that stick out. Now, that's what we have in the uh, in the vaccines is we have, you know, the the code to, to show spike protein or in Johnson & Johnson, we have the code to uh, make a spike protein within a different sort of virus. And we show this to our immune system because this is what our immune system naturally responds to. When Betty was talking about wanting to look for antibodies before she was wanting to look for antibodies to spike, which is actually exactly what we raise with the vaccines, right? So it's a nice thing to target with the vaccines because it also keeps that virus from infecting us. And so I know Eric did ask, also ask about boosters. And so one quick thing about the boosters, a, a third dose uh, of booster, like so many vaccines have multiple stages, right? When we were babies, we got many of the, I believe tennis is a four stage or something like that in order to kind of work our way up to having this long-term immunity. And so it's not uncommon to need several vaccines. And so it wouldn't surprise me if boosters do help, and it seems they do in the clinical trials. It's just I'm more thinking that right now those first doses would be better for other people than boosters for us. But it certainly does seem based upon that that the boosters are uh, effective, right? And so uh, if, it, if the choice for me actually was like, this, this uh, vaccine is going to expire, I can't give it to someone who hasn't had it yet, I can't send it overseas, but Chris, you could have your third, then... Sure, a vaccine in the arm is better than a vaccine in the trash. Yeah. So. All right. I'm going to try to get through these calls before we, we have to go. Caller, who's this? You there? Hello. I, this, this is Scott. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead, Scott. Real quick, please. Uh, I have four children, and three of the four are old enough to get the, uh, the vaccine. Is there any reason that we should not give them? or take them or provide them with that vaccine? All right, thanks. It's, a, it's a great question, Scott. And it's natural for all of us as parents. You know, I, I also have parent, uh, also have kids. I have a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old. And so I think naturally as parents, we're protective and we think of something new and like, okay, it was all right for me, but for my kid, oh gosh, I don't know. And that's natural. That's the way we all feel. But uh, when I thought it through, you know, I was like, you know, there's no reason in anything that I've seen here where I wouldn't want that same protection for my daughter, even if kids do get it uh, more mildly sometimes. There's still these long-term concerns and uh, with the actual disease. And no matter what, I, everything I looked at, it was like, no, you know, the, the vaccine is way safer and way better choice for my daughter. And so my 12-year-old actually got it the day after her birthday. She was thrilled to have it, thrilled to know she's helping protect the people around her. And, you know, we talk about things like the common good with our kids, too. And so they know that not only are they doing it for themselves, but they're doing it for others. And, no, Scott, there's, there's no reason you, sh you shouldn't do that for your kids uh, as long as they don't have an allergy to polyethylene glycol or one of those uh, few medical exemptions. It's, it's the right decision, I think. All right. Mark, I know you're waiting on hold, but I'm not going to be able to get to you because we literally just have one, one minute to go. So uh, sorry about that. 
And um, Chris, I really appreciate you coming on again. Uh, hopefully, we don't have to do this anymore. But school's <laughs> ramping up. How, yeah. how 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 are you? How do you feel about that in thirty seconds? I'm excited to get back to school. I'm excited to see my students again. I'm excited to see my colleagues. Uh, uh, excited to, to get back at talking science and, and helping people be excited to, to move on with their career studying science and medicine. Do you incorporate COVID into, are you, I mean, as we learn a <laughs> lot, can't not, you know, yeah, it's, right? it's, it's their lives and it's so relevant to so many things we is do. It, is it kind it's, of the perfect thing to get, keep kids and keep students in, engaged sometimes, but you know, they're, they're or as sick of COVID as everyone else. You don't want to do it overkill too. Yeah. That, that makes sense too. All right. That's all the time we got for today. Dr. Anthony Chergoski, a different kind of doctor, a political science professor. So maybe we could still talk about COVID, but just in the way how politicians have hijacked it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening.